Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellenbecker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for business ethics and integrity. The Ellenbecker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sense Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, the founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. We're located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive. We're in that great big, beautiful town bank building. We're also in the village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank building, directly across from Winkies. And we have the um, ability to service our clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. If you'd like to put a face with a voice, um, please go to ellenbecker.com. My guest today is attorney Phil Remmers. He is with the firm Kramer Moltoff at Hamas and right here in Racine, Wisconsin. And uh, Phil does uh, the majority of the estate planning for our company and for all of our, our employees and as well as for our clients. And so we have this wonderful long history of working together, which really makes it nice if you've been listening to Money Sense for these 30 plus years, you know that one of the things that I really treasure is doing business with my friends. And so Phil, thank you for taking the time to be on the show today. I, I can't believe how fast the summer is gone. Mia is leaving on a week from this Sunday for college and, um, and her boyfriend, Max, and they're heading out and so many other kids are on their way back to school. It just seems like it's flown by, but there are some things that parents should consider when kids are going off to school. And so let's take some of the show today to talk about some of the things that are really important. And I know that you've had experience in this area and have stories that you can share. I I, I, I do. So <laughs> um, I know that we'd like to you know talk at, at some point regarding what documents that they should have in place. Um, but maybe just if, for no other reason that it's more of interest to me, I guess I'd like to talk about um, the leases that these kids are signing. So if if that's a good point, can we kind of jump into that a little bit? Or oh, absolutely, everything to do with kids. <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, it's it's really something that needs to be looked at. You know, the these leases that that the kids sign up. Um, you know, there, there's a couple different points. The, the first point I guess I'd like to talk about is that when these kids enter these leases, it's really important that they get renter's insurance. Um, and I know you and I have been kind of talking about that for, for a couple of years, but it just came again. Um, I was talking to my son the other day and he had a friend that was at a different college and they had a fire at their house. And this friend of his, they did have renter's insurance so that that damage that was caused, they were protected, but his other roommates didn't. And it's really become an issue for them and they've gotten trapped in that. So it's important to have renter's insurance. You could say, well, boy, my kids only have, you know, a couple thousand dollars worth of equipment in the, the property, but that's not what renter's insurance is about. It's not just about if there's damage to the equipment and, and their personal property, but it also protects them that if they damage the property, if there's a fire and the property gets damaged, if somebody slips and falls, you know, in their rental unit, um, it might not just be the landlord, but it could also be them if it was their carpet, that sort of thing. And so these are the types of things that they need protection from. Um, I just got the invoice for my boys the other day. 
And it was like $160 a year. Um, they're living together. So we got kind of a two for one. Um, <laughs> and so that was nice. But but again, for a couple hundred dollars, you can really make a lot of liability go away then. So. And what about these kids that go to school? I know Mia is taking her um, piano or her board. And I know that they take a lot of this equipment that they have now is pretty expensive. Do they have to think about that at all? Well, I mean, you know, that as well. Again, that's another reason that you would, you would want that renter's insurance. So if something happens there, you know, it doesn't cover just the um, vicarious and the liability issues, but it also covers um, the personal property. So if there was a damage or a theft, um, you know, those sorts of things, it's going to protect it from that as well. So that's why it is really important um, to get that in. So, you, you know, Phil, all kids can be... Um not thinking often when they decide to have a party at their house or they decide to do something, what are some of the conversations parents should have with their kids about living on campus and living off of campus, cars, you know, those types of things so that they're just really aware of um, how to protect themselves? Well, again, everything comes with liability. And so, you know, if they're hosting a party, and I know it's hard to say, you know, not to, but they need to be, you know, cognizant of what's going on. And, and so if there's, you know, a problem, if they see, you know, you know, first of all, from an attorney's perspective, it'd just be easy to say, don't do it at all. Okay. <laughs> um, and probably from a parental, you know, that, but, but, it, but if it's going to happen, that they need to be smart about it, that they need to, you know, monitor who's coming in. You don't just open it up to, you know, everyone, you know, in the, the whole college, you know, community. And then that if, if they see a problem that they need to address it, it's not funny. If somebody's, you know, falling down, if somebody's been, you know, drugged with a roofie or something like that, that they're making sure that that person's protected. Um, not only is it the right thing to do, um, but it could protect them from some liability too, that somebody doesn't get um, injured or taken advantage of. And so, you know, again, I think with, you know, if you're going to take, you know, if you're going to have a party, you've got some responsibility and you need to make sure um, you know, that everyone's, everyone's protected. Um, and that kind of goes into, you know, the vehicles as well. And I've had, you know, discussions with my kids, you know, we have let our kids have a car from time to time at college. And they're like, well, it'll be great. You know, um, we'll do the car. And my roommate said that they would share the parking fee with it as long as they get to use it, you know, half the time. And that's her thing. And I'm like, no, I'm happy to pay for the entire parking spot. I don't want, you know, other kids using the car. Um, how about they bring their car and then you use it half the time, you know, I'd rather have the liability. So, you know, I, I think you want to be thinking, you know, liability like that, that they shouldn't be just, you know, giving out the car, especially if there's, you know, been some drinking involved that, you know, you want to, you know, make sure that you're, you know, protected like that. Um, you know, Phil, on these, on these kids, these freshmen and sophomore juniors and seniors, of course, it's hard. Kids are gone. Parents hope that they, you know, that they, think about the thing, the conversations, but I know something that worked for me with my kids was just writing it down and putting it on paper and going over it with paper and say, just take this and make a copy of it that you both have it. it there just seems to be something that happens when you put it on paper rather than just have the conversation. Right. And I, th I think you tend to focus on it, you know, a little bit more. And again, I don't think either one of us is so naive that think that we're going to stop everything and we're saying, oh, these are the rules and our kids are going to follow 100%. Um, you know, I, I think what you're trying to do is you're trying to say, you know, listen, from our experience, you know, these are what can happen. If, if, if this is going to happen, how do we kind of moderate some of that? Um, again, I think it's no different than, 
you know, I know you have a boat, you know, I have a boat too. You know, again, I'm careful with those kids. I'm like, I get it that you guys want to go, you know, swimming off the boat and that's fun. Um, but once you've started drinking, I don't think you should be doing that, you know, anymore. you know what I mean? If you're going to do that, then you'll come back, you know, on land because that's where you get trouble. So again, it's not trying to stop the kids from having any (laughs) fun. It's saying, okay, these are the most critical areas. This is, this is where we're seeing issues arise. And so if we can moderate those issues, then, you know, we get a better result, hopefully in the end. You know, Phil, you've been talking a little bit about kids getting into, um, trouble in the terms of maybe drinking or falling or something happened. I know we've talked so often on the air about powers of attorney for healthcare. Um, Maybe you could go into that again, because it's something that we literally mark on our calendar, our our client's grandchildren when they turn 18, and we send out a notice to them that it's time to do a power of attorney for healthcare. And I don't think that parents actually understand how that works because they don't often understand how it even works for them. So I think we'll cover both of those at the same time. So yeah, those are really important documents. And as we've talked about before, you know, those documents are all available. We're talking about a financial power of attorney, healthcare power of attorney, a HIPAA, which gives access to health information that you can get those documents from the Wisconsin Health and Human Services website. You, You can download those and what it does is it gives you a lot of flexibility with your kids. I mean, if, um, you know, I know I've told this story and I guess my kids are getting older now, so I probably use it too much. But, you know, my son goes away as a freshman to, you know, to Madison. Um, and two days later, he comes down with appendicitis and we rush out there and they're like, well, he's 18. So we can't talk to you now. Hopefully he'll let you you know, communicate <laughs> once he comes out of surgery. So you know, those are the types of things that, yes, you want those in place just in case something happens that you have a healthcare power of attorney so that you can talk to um, the medical personnel that if, you know, it was something more critical that you have a financial, you know, power of attorney too. So if you had to, you know, fill out financial forms for your child, you'd be able to do that. And then what we find is, you know, convenient too, at least in our family, is having a HIPAA where my kids give my spouse, my wife, um, the ability to be able to talk to just personnel all the time so that if they've got their acne issues flare up and they need to deal with the pharmacist or they need to deal with the doctor, that she can kind of do that, you know, directly. Not that they shouldn't be doing it themselves, but it's always easier for them to let mom do it. And so, you know, she can do it. So, um, you know, it creates a lot of flexibility, makes it really easy for them. Good documents to have in place and they're easy to get just you know download them off the Wisconsin Health and Human Services website. And Phil, who has to sign on there to make them legal? Um it would be that the children would would need to do that. You would definitely want to have it in front of a, a notary, at least for the financial power of attorney. So you know there's a little bit of you know prep work you know that goes in, but you know, t- you know, if you can take it to a bank and have them notarize it, get a couple other witnesses for the HIPAA and for the healthcare power of attorney. Um, just a few minutes of time, put it in the file. Maybe you won't need it for a year. Maybe it'll be 10 years. Maybe it'll hopefully be never. But if you do need it, at least you have that flexibility to do that. When we're also talking um, about children, uh, my son, John, is 51 years old and he does not have a spouse and I can't make decisions for him either. So it's not just these kids going to college. It's the kids that maybe are working at a job in another state and they're in their 30s or 20s or 50s. I mean, uh, you just recently did an update for John. 
Yeah, and and I, and I know, and people, you know, I ask me all the time, sometimes people are like, well, you know, my kids are 27, 28, they really have nothing, do we need to do an elaborate trust? And I'm like, no, probably not, okay? And should they have a will? Yeah, maybe, but, you know, wills have to go through probate, and we've talked about that. But that's not really that critical. I mean, what are the chances of something happened to a 27-year-old where they pass away? And if you have to go through probate, we would rather avoid it, but it's not the end of the world. It's not like when you're married and you have children and that sort of thing. But again, it's always a good idea to have these healthcare power of attorneys, financial power of attorneys in place, whether you have an 18-year-old, whether you have a 27-year-old, or whether you have a 51-year-old. <laughs> um, you know, we want we want those so so it's easy for the family to step in and, and provide assistance. Because without that, you know, we're going through a court system called guardianship, which generally we like to say takes three months and three thousand dollars. And you can make that all <laughs> go away with kind of a stroke of a pen. Well, and you know, Phil, John's got me named as his first person. And then the second person after that would act, if I couldn't act, is his sister, Julie, right. and then his brother, Jeff. So it's these are the people that are going to make the decisions anyways, but putting that legal document just simplifies it. And, and it does simplify it. And that's why you want it. It's easy to do. It makes it easy later on. Um, you know, that's why we're always encouraging people to absolutely take care of that. My guest today is attorney Phil Remmers. He's with Kramer, Multoff and Hamas, which is located right in Racine in Waukesha, uh, Racine Avenue. And he is uh, he really focuses on estate planning, real estate and business law. And with that, we're going to take a break. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. If you would like to um, know more, as I always say, just go to our website, ellenbecker.com. My guest today is attorney Phil Remmers. We have been talking about the important things that parents and children going off to college really need to think about. And in our first um, half there, we were talking about leases and liability and having roommates. But one of the things that I think is very important is to talk about guarantees and some of the things that parents really do want to help their kids out. And there are ways that you can do it, but there are some ways that are better. Yeah. So guarantees come about in, in really kind of two different contexts as far as these college kids. Um, we're talking about guarantees on leases and also guarantees on you know the loans that they get. So I'd kind of like to kind of talk about, you know, guarantees on leases. And, and I've talked about this before, you know, I'm pretty, you know, specific, My, you know, I have kids in college, um, lease guarantees, you know, need to be given, the landlords just aren't going to do it. But a lot of times I will modify those leases um, or those guarantees. And so, you know, a lot, of, it depends on the lease, it depends on the guarantee, you definitely want to read the language. If it says, you know, you guarantee every liability of your child under that lease. Again, that could be something where one of the roommates, you know, creates a fire because the all of the roommates are joint and severally liable. That would mean your child's liable. And if you guaranteed it, you could be under there too. The the insurance company could be coming after you. So for a subrogation claim, subrogation claim, the um, the landlord could be coming after you. So, you know, generally what I'll do is I'll say, listen, all I am guaranteeing is my child's 
um, pro rata share of their rent payment. So listen, I'll pay their rent payment, but if there's any other liability, I'm not going to guarantee that. So I'll modify that and send it back. Um, you know, so far I've never had any, you know, issues with that. Now, again, you might get some pushback from a landlord, but I think a lot of times they're just kind of checking the box that says, hey, listen, this is, we got the guarantee, it's in, we're, we're covered on the rent, you know, we're comfortable. But again, that gives us a lot of protection. So I think that's something that you want to look at. You want to make sure that it's not very broad, that it's specific to the rent and maybe even just to your child's proportionate share of that rent. And I could see something like that happen. You know, kids love dogs and so many of these kids get dogs and it might be your roommate gets a dog and the dog does damage in the house. And you don't want to have to be responsible for that. Right. Um, and, and that's where, again, if it's just very broad, you know, you just don't know what the liability is. And at least, at least the dog, I feel like it's probably pretty <laughs> limited. Okay. But yeah. it's not limited if there's a fire. And that's happened at least right. twice that I've had it. I mean, I had this with my friends, um, you know, at their house. And then I had a client call me, you know, five, 10 years ago. And they said the same thing that, you know, there's a fire. And so that's why you need, you know, that renter's insurance in. And again, you should even be looking at it. Hey, does your umbrella coverage, you know, carry that, yes. you know, cover that as well. So, you know, Phil, um, these kids graduate from college and of course they don't really have any money saved and they get a job and they need transportation. And so one of the first things they need is a car and, you know, very often they'll go and try and buy a car, but they don't have enough cash to put down or they need to get a loan and they ask their parents if they would guarantee. What are some of the things people need to think about um, in terms of their own personal credit and guarantee a loan for a child? Well, I mean, you know, that, that that's the issue. I mean, first of all, you're, you're always going to be probably better off doing a guarantee um, if you've got to do something, which of course every attorney would say, don't do nothing if you don't have to. But if, if you got to do something, you're going to be better off having um, a guarantee than having co-signing it. Because if there's a co-signing and your child is late paying and you're like, well, hey, I'm going to let them sink a little bit, you're probably sinking yourself a little bit too. That that could affect your credit because you're also on that. At least with a guarantee, if your kid's not paying, that's affecting their credit. And then what they're going to do is they're going to make, you know, a claim against you. And now, now if you don't pay that, then it may affect, you know, affect your credit. But at least it's all got to it's serious enough that they're making a claim against, you know, the guarantor. So you want to be careful. And then I, I think you also need to say, I, I know we're all in the, you know, we want to help our kids. We want to make it easy. But you, I think you need to look at your children, too, and say, listen, if, if they're not a good credit risk, you know, there's just certain things that I'm not going to take a chance on. Um, and, and help them. I mean, if, if they need help, maybe I'll give them five or $10,000 and that limits my risk, but I'm just not going to, you know, personally guarantee that it becomes a little bit more important. I think, you know, at least the car's a little bit limited, maybe a little bit limited, but, um, when we get to these, these loans for these student, these student loans, and the same thing can happen if you're co-signing on that student loan and they don't pay, that's going to affect your credit. If you are um, guaranteeing all these loans or co-signing, they're going to see that you have a lot of credit out there, that you know there's, you have a potential liability. And again, that's going to affect your credit, even if everybody's paying, just because you have potentially more loans out there. Um, but then you know, the most important thing is, is if your children are just you know, racking up a lot of you know, loans out there and you've personally guaranteed that debt, uh, ultimately that could come back you know, to you. I have a, a friend who... Um, 
you know, they personally guaranteed all that. And now, you know, the debt's starting to get to $150,000, $200,000 for the child. And, you know, that starts to become an issue. If their child's not able to pay it, you know, they're going to be affected. They're going to have to kind of take out of their retirement savings to take care of it. Now, you know, as long as she pays, great. But if she doesn't, you know, that's a lot of money to be on the hook for. And so I don't think you should just do it. Well, hey, this is just how life works. I think you need to, you know, consider what the risks are and see what the alternative is for the children. Another um, option that I know has worked for several people is to have that payment that they're going to make to you systematically withdrawn from their checking account or wherever they have their paycheck. And if the kids don't want to do it, that's a good indication that they may not really have the intention of paying you. But if it automatically, if you don't, if they don't have to now, some people will disagree and say, having them write the check and actually handing it to you is a much better idea. But I find that cumbersome to keep track of, you know, and part of it, you've got to do that. So everything is a little different for each family. But I think, Phil, I agree with you. Holding them accountable is, is very important. Yeah. And as long as we're kind of talking about you know, guarantees and insurance. There, there's one other place that I kind of like to talk about with not just college kids, but maybe kids that are, you saying they're getting their first jobs out of college, is you really need to be careful when you're renting um, these rental trucks as well. Um, I think we're all kind of used to that when we get a rental car, our insurance covers that or our credit card covers any damage that would happen to the car. But it specifically does not include that when you're dealing with a rental truck. So it's very important that when you get a rental truck and you're using that, that you do get their coverage with it because neither the credit card nor your personal insurance is going to cover any damage to that vehicle or any other vehicle that you damage. Boy, that's really a good tip because I was sort of under the impression that my, my insurance would cover everything. And so I generally, if I, and I haven't rented it very often, but I generally say, no, I don't really need that. But that's something you really need to be aware of. And Yeah, and check I check out. in on that. Unfortunately, I kind of found that out the hard way. It didn't cost me that much, but I did find out the hard way um, on that. But um, but I check now every so often. They're like, yeah, that's absolutely the case. So that's something that you want to you know think when you're getting trailers, when you're getting rental trucks to make sure that you're covered. My guest today is attorney Phil Remmers. He's with Kramer, Multuff and Hamas. He's at 1601 East Racine Avenue in Waukesha, and his phone number is 262-542-4278. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some other things that people really often don't even know. They're questions that they, they should ask um, about their own personal estate planning. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And I so enjoy doing this radio show and it's 34 plus years, I believe, somewhere in that area. And uh, it's given me an opportunity to learn so many things myself, but I really do see it as an opportunity to help my clients and our listeners to become educated in areas that people really don't often think about. And one of them, of course, is estate planning. And I found that the reason parents don't think about having powers of attorney for health care for their children when they go off to college, or even as I have an adult son, is because often they don't have them for themselves. And, you know, Phil, that is a really important piece. And as long as we're talking about children, I have 
um, I have so many friends um, that are having grandchildren and I ask them, do your grandchildren, you know, do your your children have powers of attorney for health care and an estate plan? And they say, well, they don't really have much, just like you said earlier. But when you have children, you really do need to have a will because if something happens to you, um, who is going to step in and care for your children? Right. Um, I mean, certainly if you have children and you have minor children, you really want to make sure that you have a will that is naming the guardians for the children, who the children are going to go live with. I would think for most parents, that's the most important thing that we'd want to get in place. Um, but then, you know, of also importance is, you know, where would the money go, you know, for them? I mean, we don't want the family arguing about who's going to control the money for the kids, having to go through a, a drawn out court process. Um, if there's particular people, friends, family members um, that could oversee the money. Um, and it's not whether it's just that they're honest with the money, it's that do they have the same values um, as you do? So that when the kids make a request, we all we always know who the favorite grandparent is or or aunt or uncle who just gives you everything you want, but that's maybe not, you know, what's best. And so, you know, what which of the family members or friends has understands your values and would make those types of value decisions. You know, that yes, they would give them money for education, they would give them money. Um, if they have a business idea that they want to explore, um, that they would you know, be flexible enough to provide for that, but not so flexible that anything that they ask for would be there. And then there's nothing when they really need it later on, whether that means for their retirement, when they have a family, those sorts of things. You know, so often when I talk to a young couple about making uh, out a will and an estate plan, they stumble a little bit and they say, well, we don't know who we want to raise our children. And so they actually just don't do anything. But the truth of it is, even if you don't have an estate plan, you really do have an estate plan because the government's going to step in and they're going to make those decisions for you. Yeah. And that and I've run into that like you have, you know, several times. And it's just, it's just almost crazy. Like, <laughs> well, I can't, you know, my wife and I, or my, my husband and I, we've been negotiating for years about who should watch our kids. I'm like, yeah, but wouldn't it be like, hey, I, I don't know. I mean, how about like each of you do your own? And even if it's not the same person, at least we only have those two fighting about it <laughs> rather than maybe six people fighting about it. So again, I just feel like it's always better to have something in place you know, rather than nothing in a place, especially when we're dealing with, you know, minor children. Um, and, and again, what we don't want is, is both families, you know, are fighting, especially if one family, you know, side of the family is not good with money. We don't want them, you know, to get control of the money. And so that we want to make sure that that money's there and it's protected for the kids. Well, and often, not just younger couples, but Many people who have come in to talk with us, they'll say, well, I really don't have very much. I don't think I really need to do estate planning. But very often, they don't even have an idea of how to add up what their estate is worth. And for young people, if they're both working, there is life insurance that is associated generally with their with their paycheck and with their company. But so there's two sides to that equation, Phil. There's the the, the idea that they don't have money and maybe they don't, which is not a good thing because then they really do need to consider as one of their priorities to look at life insurance so that if something does happen to them, that whomever they believe in and trust in and feel have the same values, as you said, can have financial resources to raise those children. But then there's also the people who have more than enough 
And um, they don't realize that they have that much because they don't know to add up all the things that they have. Yeah, and that's where we start adding up. I mean, you all ask people and they're like, yeah, we don't have much. Well, other than the $150,000 equity in your house, other than the $300,000 that you have in the retirement accounts, which I know don't feel like either one of those are available. And certainly the million dollars worth of life insurance um, that you have doesn't feel available because it's not. But if something happens to both of them, you know, then then all of a sudden there's a million and a half there and they have two children and it's $750,000 each. And what we don't want, um, and, and we've run into this a few times over the years, is that, you know, we'll have that situation where the parents die or one of the parents dies if they're separated. Um, and then the child will inherit a half a million dollars. And as you said, the law provides for that. And so the law says, okay, they're 18 years old. That child is entitled to a half a million dollars. And that is probably not a good result either. So then we're kind of scrambling with the, the aunts and uncles to get the child to agree to have somebody kind of oversee it to, you know, um, a higher age. And maybe the child will agree to that, but they certainly don't have to. And so, um, you know, it, it's better to have something, you know, into place, even if it's simple to delay that control till age 25 or 30 or something more appropriate. Well, Phil, as long as we're talking about kids and protecting children, we saw with COVID and we've seen with so many other things that, you know, things do happen and people die and they haven't made the plans. They're not in place. And just what you were talking about, the kids getting these um, large amounts of money and often the kids are really great kids, but they don't really recognize that it would be in their best interest not to tell everybody that they've inherited this money. And all of a sudden they've got a friend of them that says, you know, there's this great idea for business and I'll run it and I'll do the sweat equity and you put up the money. <laughs> and then it fails and, and their inheritance is gone. But there are ways and one way of course that I really uh, like and have done for my own family is the Lifetime Credit Protection Trust where it, it just protects the kid. And as you always say, for making an error that is re irreversible. Yeah. And again, that comes in two, you know, two kind of phases, you know, those lifetime asset protection trusts that we want to, you know, protect the assets for the kids. If the kids are too young and that they shouldn't be in control of their own money, that it goes into that trust. And so you can have somebody else look over it. Um, I like to kind of call that affectionately stupidity protection, you know, sometimes. Um, but what we also have is that even when the kids are older and they're in control of their own money, maybe we don't need that protection from their own acts, but we still want protection from outsiders being able to attack it. If there's um, going, if there's a divorce that that it's not attacked by a spouse, if there's a car accident, a lawsuit, a bankruptcy, that um, estate taxes, that it's going to be protected from that, or it could just be, you know, protected if you know, God forbid, one of your kids should pass away that it makes sure that it stays in the family and it goes to their children, not to their spouse. And, and I know that there's, you know, different feelings about that, but sometimes when it goes to the spouse, um, we hear so often that it never does come back to, you know, the family, that that new spouse gets remarried, gives it to their new spouse, thinking that new spouse will take care of their kids and they just don't. And so then, you know, that side of the family's cut out together and that is not what they intended. You know, Phil, an easy description that I often use is you pass away. And let's say I talk about my daughter, Julie, and I love my son-in-law, Tom, 
but let's just say I die and Julie and Tom decide that they want to buy a retirement home or build something or buy something, and they take a sizable amount of money of Julie's inheritance and put it towards that. And then 10 years from now, you know, they get divorced. Um, Julie's just lost half of that inheritance that they spent for that home, opposed to if the money was just borrowed from that trust um, upon that divorce, all the money would have to go back and they'd only have to split the appreciated amount if there was one. Right. And that just kind of shows the flexibility, you know, of these asset protection trusts. Not only does it protect it from, you know, um, you know, a divorce, a car accident, those sorts of things. But but even when you're trying to take out money and you're trying to be flexible with it, it can it can still be flexible and still protect in the event that there's a marriage situation that would arise. Phil, when you talk about um, the the families and the kids, I heard something the other day that I thought was really amazing is that when people pass away, the kids are going to sit down and they're going to decide what kind of family they want to be. Are they going to be that family that is united and stick together, which is what most of us parents are trying to do. We're trying to keep that cohesive with all of our kids. Or are they going to fight over some of these other things that are in, you know, as part of the estate? And so I'd really like to take this last segment that we have and talk about some of those issues that parents can prevent. Because I know for me, I want my kids to be happy and I want them to continue to be friends and to do things together and have that tribe that I've worked so hard to create. But so often you and I see this in families that kids just don't know that this is a very critical time for them to decide what kind of family will we be. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense and Karen Ellenbecker. My guest today is attorney Phil Remmers. He is with the law firm Kramer Multap and Hamas right in downtown Waukesha on Racine Avenue. His phone number is 262-542-4278. And Phil today is talking about estate planning, but he's been on the show talking about real estate and also business law. And um, I know that for me, Phil, when at the end, of the, the end of the last series, I said that I wanted to talk about parents and how they can really hang in there with their kids and what are some of the things that they can do to prevent um, this disparity between kids. And of course, one of them is always having family meetings, but there are other things that we can do to, to try and help to solidify that. Well, you're right. And, and a lot of it, I think it, it's, it's communication and it's laying you know items out. I think you've told the story. Um, and, and, and that can be a, a lot of different things. It can be, we'll have discussions about, you know, who should get what real estate, who should get what personal property, and maybe even, you know, the percentages on how the the estate should be, you know, divided. And so every family is a little bit different here. But to kind of kind of take, you know, one example, sometimes I'll have people come to me and they're like, hey, I got two great kids. I love them both. But one child is doing a lot better economically. And so what I want to do is give 75% to one child and I want to give 25% um, to the one that's doing better. And I said, well, you know, have you had that discussion? Because what you don't want to do is you don't want to 
you know, have it so that you're gone and now your kids are bitter because you feel like you favored one over the other or the one. And so much time they'll say, well, I'll have that discussion. They have enough money. I don't think that they'll care. And they'll come back and say, Phil, you know, it was interesting. You were right. They, they did care a lot. They didn't think that was fair at all because of, you know, that they tried to save more and they did things different in their life, why they should be, you know, punished with it. Other times they'll come back and they'll say, hey, that's great. I've got enough. I don't need it. And ultimately it's the parents call, you know, what they want to do on that. We're not trying to change that. But, but again, if you don't have a good sense of where your kids are, if you don't have that communication, it can create bitterness between the kids later on where they feel like one you know, child's kind of worked over the parent to get more gifts during life, to get a bigger inheritance, and then they're not going to have a relationship, you know, later. So um, that's one instance. Another one is, um, I remember just the other day I was talking to a client and they said, you know, my daughter is really married well and the family's very wealthy and they put money away for the kids. Um, we really want to do exactly what you were saying. We want to give so much to the other child because he's not going to have as much. And I said, do you think that if for some reason your daughter would get divorced, that his parents are going to give money to her? I mean, you don't know for sure that she's going to inherit money from that family. One would hope so, but he could pass away and they don't have to give her money. They may leave it to the kids. So, you know, it's really talking to someone who is going to help you ferret out some of these questions that you don't even know to ask. Yeah, for, for, for sure. And so, again, that's where the communication comes in. You know, the communication is not always good. You don't want to tell your kids everything. I mean, sometimes we'll, you know, we'll make the decision like, listen, we're going to put this in and um, the kids aren't going to find out about it later. But if there's things that are going to affect the relationship, either how their parents think about you later on, how the kids interact, sometimes it's better to get it, you know, up front and have it talked about. At least the kids know it's coming then. And or if there's really an objection to it, you know, they can talk about it. Um, and that'll come up too, you know, when we're dealing with real estate. You know, a lot of times, you know, you'll you'll have an issue where there's a cabin, you know, up north, and one of the kids wants it and the other one doesn't. You know, you know, give some thought to how that's going to work. Are you going to make it easy for the one if you want to keep it in the family to be able to get that real estate, or do they have the first option on it so that they're not um, arguing between themselves? And so, you know, there's lots we can do in estate plan. Give them an option to purchase, maybe you, you know, give them a little bit of a discount, you know, on the purchase price or on their inheritance to make that easy for them. That brings up a great two questions. Children that live in your house, we know so many people that have, I always call them basement dwellers, you know, um, and I will tell you that children remember all these different things that you've done for other children. They have great memories. And people will say to me, but my kids don't do that. Yeah, they do. They keep track. They know. And um, so, you know, how do you do with loans that you've made to kids or different things so that in the end, there is some way of equalizing some of this so the kids all feel that, that, that they agree with it. Not that everything has to be fair, but I'm going to tell you, kids keep track. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I guess I was surprised, you know, even with my kids, I'm like, ah, you know, there's some things I'm like, I don't think that that and I was talking to another couple who's just got great family, great kids. And they're kind of like, eh, you know, we're not even going to have one of our kids be the trustee because they're going to think, oh, that they're the favorite child. <laughs> and so then I kind of talked to my kids and it was kind of like, yeah, they had some, they had some opinions on certain things. And it kind of surprised me. And I'm like, gosh, they get along just so good. 
but again, when you're dealing with money and that sort of things, you know, things and power, happen. because it looks like it's power, right? If you're the trustee, how did they get the power? Right. Um, but as far as, you know, there, there's lots you can do in very simple, you know, with kids. I mean, not, not everything has to be absolutely equal when you're making loans to kids or giving them assistance. It's hard to track everything. But maybe you do just a goodwill gesture. So if you know you've given a lot to one child, you say, listen, when, when I die, I'm going to give $100,000 to the other child. Maybe that's not perfect equalization, but it's at least an acknowledgement. And then we're going to break it up 50-50 after that. So, you know, it's easy to do that, make a specific distribution to one to, you know, at least try to make it more fair or more equal. Um, and that's easy to do then. Stuff, Phil, we'll talk about the stuff, the stuff that people have. And I always laugh because, you know, we think our kids might want it. They don't want as much as we think. And Julie always says, Mom, I don't want anything that can't go in the microwave or the dishwasher. <laughs> yeah, um, but but that's why, you know, th there's an easy way to get, you know, to, to take care of your stuff. And, you know, you can do a memorandum of personal property, you know, specify how you want items of personal property done. So again, that the kids are not, you know, arguing about it. And, you know, jewelry comes up a lot. And maybe you're like, well, you know what, I only have one daughter and I would want her to get, you know, the jewelry. But then what happens is sometimes the son's spouse says, well, hey, you know, you're supposed to get 50% and then they start negotiating for that, you know, jewelry as well. Or, or they say they have a, you have a granddaughter that's a girl. Right. Why can't she get some of your jewelry? Right. And so, you know, these are the you know types of things. If you're very specific about what you want, I mean, maybe you do just allow them to negotiate that later. But if you know what you want and you've made agreements and we know you've run into that issue, Karen, about, you know, we thought agreements were out there. Um, you know, that that can all be, you know, changed up. So, you know, put that in writing, make it easy. Another time I find where it's interesting too, is, you know, you might have somebody like somebody came in the other day and they're like, hey, I have a coin collection. My child, my children don't really appreciate this coin collection. I don't want them to just sell it and liquidate it. I want to give it to my one of my friends who enjoys, you know, those sorts of things. And so that's a good thing too, where, you know, let your kids know that, they listen, you know, I don't want you to monetize this. This is something personal and sentimental to me. You know, I want it to go to a friend who's going to appreciate it like I appreciated it. Those conversations, Phil, we do family meetings all the time. And I wanted to get back to something that you had said. You don't have to tell kids everything, but being able to outline what's going to happen when you die, who's the person that's going to call. Um, I always say that the team that you have in place, your attorney, your financial advisor, who deals with your insurance, all of those different issues, that's part of the legacy that you leave because those kids are going to listen to those advisors because they believe you have them because they're the best. So if there's a reason that you don't feel that the people you work with are referable, I would say it's a good time to start looking for someone else. And of course, I invite you to come to the Ellen Becker Investment Group and we'll sit down and review your whatever you have in place for your estate planning, your financial planning. And that's something that we just really enjoy doing because I believe that a good financial plan is a solid base to build from. And unless we really do understand what you want, where you want things to go, it's pretty hard to make a really good qualified uh, decision as to how to help you to determine where you want to go. I know, Phil, we only have about a minute and a half left. What would you like to leave the listeners with in, in terms of their children, 
and college, all the different things that, you know, parents are, are looking at as they're raising their kids and trying to launch their kids. Well, I think it's like everything else in life. I mean, I, th I think it's about, you know, communication with your kids. I mean, if you're talking about doing guarantees for your children, you know, having communication with them, what's the expectations on payment, like we talked about, or that they're going to act responsibly if you're going to be guaranteeing, you know, the the house lease or or um, the, the loans. Um, but we also have, you know, communication issues when we're dealing with estate plan. If you're going to do something even a little bit out of the ordinary, is it best to kind of get that up front so that that gets done then, you know, so you have those conversations. My guest today is attorney Phil Remmers. You can reach him at 262-542-4278. If you have any more questions on the things that we've talked about today, you can give us a call at the office at 262-691-3200. Phil is just great uh, sitting down with you, reviewing your estate plan, giving you the options. Um, they really should be reviewed as life changes, you know, the world is changing to make sure that you have everything that will make life easier for your beneficiaries. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and your financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Have a really great weekend. Thank you. Bye-bye.